But if you will, this morning, I'd like to turn to John chapter 19. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that's pretty interesting. Um, and uh, before we do that, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for Your love, for Your salvation, for Your Word. God, we are grateful for Your protection, for bringing all things together for good, even those things that we can't understand, Lord. We know that they all come together for Your good to those who love You and are called according to Your purpose. Father, we must see Your blessing upon this nation that we have the freedom to, to preach Proclaim Jesus, the good news of Christ. So many, Lord, gather today in secret churches, underground churches. Allow us to see and understand just how great we really have it here. And what a privilege it is, Lord, that we have a Bible in our own language. And that we can open it at any time. Change our hearts, God. Change mine. Allow me to see the blessings, Lord, of having Your Word at my disposal in any time and any place. In many translations, on my cell phone, on my iPad, on my computer, in my desk, on my dash, in my pocket. We just have Your Word everywhere here. We're spoiled. Father, I thank You mostly for the words that You've placed in my heart. The words that You've given me through Your Scriptures that You've allowed me to memorize that can never be taken away. They can't be burned out of my mind. And I thank You for that. In the time, God, when so many fight, struggle, and even die to carry Bible, Lord, help us to simply remember what You are allowing us to have. And understand that You can take these things from us if we misuse them at any time. And I pray for those persecuted churches today, and those people that are being persecuted for their faith. God, give them a boldness. A boldness, a faith that it can only come through Christ Jesus. And I pray for the people that you've entrusted to me, to shepherd. And Father, may you give me the strength to be a good shepherd, willing to lay down my own desires in my life for the sake of your people. And grant me your ability and desire to be a soldier for Christ until I see him face to face. With all the distractions that this world offers, God, we pray that you help us. Transform us. Not to lose focus of the work that you've laid before us. To share the good news of Jesus Christ among all peoples and all creatures and all of the world. So this morning I pray as I open your word that you empower me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the ability to speak the words you've given me. For they don't need to hear a message from me, Lord, but they need to hear from you this morning. And we ask these things in the loving, gracious mercy of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Last week, uh, we looked at Jesus Christ and His words as He prayed there on Calvary on the cross, or, or the skull in which Luke called it. We looked at three main points in this sermon last week. We saw, number one, our need to prepare for persecution. Uh, Christ warned that, that it was coming, and so we needed to prepare for that. Number two, we saw that we needed to pray for our persecutors. Christ is our example, and we are to follow in His footsteps. And that's exactly what He did as He was being persecuted. The cross, He prayed for His persecutors. And then thirdly, we saw our need to prepare for God's provision. God's prayer, Christ's prayer was answered on the cross of Christ as we watched one of those thieves come to know Jesus. As the Lord told him, today I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. This week I would like to continue our study on Calvary. Continue to look at the, the very last thing that Jesus spoke as He hung there for the sins of mankind. And so looking at Calvary, where we come with sorrows yet receive joy. Calvary, where we come with our ruin and yet receive our perfection. Calvary, where our poverty-stricken souls find salvation and satisfaction, happiness in heaven. Calvary, truly how hopeless we would be without it. And so this morning, our story begins with John 19. Jesus hanging on the cross along with two others, two thieves, mocked and beaten. He hangs willingly there on the cross. And Pilate has an inscription placed above the head of Jesus. And it reads, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. And really in his mocking Jesus, Pilate unknowingly in his ignorance is telling truth. Jesus is the King of the Jews. And the Jews wanted something else to be written on this inscription. And so they said, take it down. No, write this. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. And he was crucified with his garments. And his garments are gambled for and they cast lots for them. But standing there, watching, we are told, his mother, his sister, and two women named Mary. One Mary, the wife of Clopas, and the other Mary Magdalene. And there in verse 25 is kind of where we're going. I'm just touching base on what's happened from chapter 19, verse 16 up to our passage this morning. I'm trying to give you an idea of what's going on in the context of the Scripture. And so here we see His mother, sheer pain as she watches her child pierced through and, and beaten and mocked. What I find interesting to this, if you recall, in the book of Luke, we read about a, a righteous man in Luke chapter 2. A man that was devout, looking 
and waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Holy Spirit revealed to him something special. This man's name was Simeon. The Holy Spirit was with him and it revealed to him that Simon would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 2, verses 27 to 35, we read this. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, and he took him into his arms, he blessed God. And he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things in which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will even pierce your own soul to the end that thoughts from, my, from many hearts may be revealed. It was foretold that Mary's heart would be pierced. Even her own soul. And boy, I don't know about you, but all I would have to think about is my child as he hung on a cross, as he'd been spit on, beaten, hanging on a cross before my very eyes, would bring me to tears to even consider my child. But yet we see here Mary, His mother, standing by the cross, looking to her son, and you just know she's in pain, pierced in her own soul. We are told as well that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was standing there also. Verse 27, when Jesus began to speak, He says, Woman, behold your son. And then to John, behold your mother. We have a glimpse into the love that Jesus has for His mother. And the Lord knows that His time on earth is about complete. And so He's making sure that this disciple whom Jesus loved is going to be her protector and her provider now. And as I read this, I thought, wow, you know, you would have thought that Jesus would have said, brother and sister, take care of your mother. But that's not what He did. He looked to the disciple whom Jesus loved and He said, you are now her protector and her provider. Maybe it's because Mary was a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe He wanted to make sure that she would be under godly influences. And as I read this, I thought, boy, we can learn a lesson in our day from this. About staying and being around godly influences. 
The old saying is, trash in is trash out. You are what you eat. And so Jesus, understanding that His brothers and sisters weren't believers at least till after the resurrection, wouldn't be the proper place for His mother to be. So He says, Disciple John, you take care of her. And from that time on, from that hour, as this a Joannian kind of speech, He took that responsibility. And so Jesus has taken care of these things, and now we come to our text this morning. John 19, verses 28 to 30. But before we get into that text this morning, I want to bring about two things from this passage of Scripture that I think will help us, will encourage us. I want you to see, number one, that our faith is a firm faith. And number two, our faith is a finished faith. John 19, 28-30, let us read. And this, Jesus, knowing all that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of sour wine and upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to His mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. He bowed His head and He gave up His spirit. Our, firm, our faith is a firm faith. We don't have to believe in some empty, wasteful faith without amazing proofs. And the proofs that we have today are many. But the one I want to look at, several I want to look at this morning, to show us that we can have a firm faith in standing on Scripture, is that of the fulfillment of prophecy that Christ fulfilled. And many of them right here in the process of crucifixion. While Christ is on the cross and in the process. 28 reads, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had been already been accomplished, to fulfill Scripture, said, I am thirsty. Jesus here, hanging on the cross, is doing His Father's will. And in the midst of doing these things, Christ is in the mid middle of fulfilling prophecies. Things that were spoke of thousands of years before. And here Christ, in the middle of this suffering and pain, is fulfilling Scripture. It says that knowing all things. Here we see Jesus in His divine ability as being omniscient, knowing all things. He knew that His work on earth was almost complete. At least His work in the body. And all that needs to take place was for Him to fulfill Psalm 69.21. It says He will be given vinegar and gall. And right here in our passage of Scripture, we see that this is about to take place. As He says, I'm thirsty. But really, what I want to draw out this morning, that's not a surprise. 
Because throughout all of Scripture, it prophesied that Jesus would do this, and Jesus would do that, and the coming Messiah is coming. And so when we stand on Scripture, we stand on our faith, and all of these things have taken place, we can be sure that our faith is a firm faith. We've seen so many fulfillments of prophecy take place. And I want to list just a few of them this morning. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says that he will not open his mouth to defend himself. And we see this fulfillment in Matthew 27, 12, when it says, And while he was being accursed by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. He didn't lash back, he didn't complain. No, the king remained silent to his offenders except through prayer for them. If you remember last week, we spoke about that. It also says that He will be beaten and spit upon in Isaiah 50, verse 6. We see that fulfillment in Matthew 26, 67 and 27, 26 to 30. All fulfillments of what was said by the prophet Isaiah. It said that He would be numbered with the transgressors. And we looked at that last week as Christ was hung on the cross with two thieves. Isaiah 53.12 is where that was spoken of. And we see that fulfillment in Matthew 27, verse 38. It says that He will be pierced in Zechariah 12.10. As we see the fulfillment in John 19.34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Years before it ever took place, it was told it was going to happen. It said that in his hands and his feet would be pierced in Psalm 22.16 and in Zechariah 12.10 which was fulfilled in all of the Gospels as Jesus was crucified. It said that the Jewish Passover sacrifice and, and Jesus' sacrificial death coincide exactly in the dates on which Jesus was taken by the Roman authorities and slain. It also coincided precisely with what the Jewish Passover was. And Jesus became the the Passover lamb without blemish. And so in John 19.29, our text reads this, A jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to His mouth. And I couldn't help but think, as I looked at this Passover... And this time during the crucifixion, the Passover, the city would have been full of people, full of viewers watching Jesus Christ crucified on Calvary. And yet in the midst of this, John is trying to tell us something. That the first Passover described in Exodus 12.21 God instructed the Israelites if you remember to kill a lamb which had no blemishes a perfect lamb and put his blood on the doorpost of the houses 
And when the angel of death would pass through Egypt, where the Israelites were being held as slaves, he would pass by any house that had blood over the doorpost. Jesus, fulfillment, prophecy that Moses was speaking of, this Passover lamb is what we are seeing here. John is trying to draw out the example that just as death came over Egypt and all those who had blood on their doorpost, death passed them by. And so Christ, our perfect spotless Lamb, is now hanging on the cross. And anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, death will pass over. But what I found interesting is this. What is it here in our passage, in verse 29, that the soldier gave this sponge full of vinegar, sour wine, to Jesus? What was it? What was it that they put the sponge on that they handed it up to him? It was hyssop. John is trying to draw out what's written here in Exodus 12, verse 22. This is during the Passover in Egypt. He said, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and apply some blood that is in the basin to the doorpost. And none of you shall go outside of this door until morning. John is giving a direct parallel of the Passover. And he's trying to express that this lamb that was being slain on the cross was a fulfillment of prophecy. Another prophecy it says that his bones would not be broken. Psalm 34.20 in Exodus 12 states that the Passover lamb, bones would not be broken. We see the fulfillment here in John 19.33. It says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that He was dead already, they break not His legs. Fulfillment of prophecy. It said that they would divide His clothes and cast lots for them. In Psalm 22.18 we see this fulfillment in John 19, 23, and 24. And really we saw this last week as they gambled for His clothes at the foot of the cross. It says that He would be given vinegar and gall to drink. Psalm 69, 21. We see that fulfillment in Matthew 27, 34. But after tasting, he refused to drink. If you remember, as he was on the cross, they offered him this vinegar and, and he says, I can't drink it because it was to delude the pain and he wanted to be in his right mind and so that as he was suffering on the cross, he knew exactly what he was doing. It said in Psalm 16.10 that he would not decay. And we see the fulfillment in Acts 2.31. 
It said that He would be resurrected from the dead in Psalm 16.10. Fulfillment, Luke 24. It said that He would ascend into heaven in Psalm 68.18. And we see that fulfillment in Acts 1.9. And it says after He had said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on, the cloud received Him out of their sight. And then finally, in Psalm 110, verse 1, we see that He says, that it says He will be seated at the right hand of God. And we see this fulfillment in Hebrews 1, verse 3. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by His word of powers, of His power. And when He had made purifications of sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Listen, don't think that God didn't know what would be happening in our day as people try to delude Scripture and make false accusations against its authority and its truthfulness. God understood what was happening. People can't discredit the Bible. They may try, but they can't. Because God lays undoable proofs that we see of in Scripture. Well, you know, I've, I've said this to folks on the street and as I'm talking to people, and this is their answer, oh, Jesus just knew the Old Testament and so He was just doing everything to fulfill the prophecy. Oh, really? He had something to do with not breaking His own legs huh, after He was already dead. Oh yeah, people plan their own births also. What do you do with the resurrection? Do you think that He told the soldiers, hey, make sure you give me the right kind of drink so that I can make this thing look real? No, these are prophecies that have been fulfilled and foretold of a thousand years beforehand. And yet, Christ is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. 333. And we can't even get the weather right. But yet, we'll put a raincoat on and go outside. Oh, it's clear skies today. But a thousand years before, they prophesied that Jesus Christ would come and be pierced through for the iniquities of mankind. Our faith is not some blind faith. And I know I gave you a lot of Scriptures this morning. And I hope you wrote some of those down as you go home and you can look back so that you can have a firm faith. And you can be assured that, listen, it's not just by hap that all of these things had taken place. This gives us an ability to have a firm faith, to trust that the Scriptures are truly reliable. Christ made it possible by being these fulfillments. And yes, our faith is a firm faith. But listen, our faith is also a finished faith. John 19.30 reads this, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. He bowed His head 
and gave up his spirit. Years ago, when I was living in Bluffton, South Carolina, I was a baseball player. And I was in the game, and I had got a base hit, and, and we were down by a couple runs. And I was on second base. And a buddy of mine hit a, hit a line drive into left field. And buddy, let me tell you, I came running home like a deer. Fast. My younger days, I was a speedy dude. Some people may beg to differ. But when I was coming around third base, it was just me and that catcher. And I came around running wide open. And it was everything that I had inside of me to get home. But in the process, this left fielder, everything inside of him was to get that ball home. And boy, that left fielder let it loose and he had a hose on a line. It was coming. And so he gave it everything that ball had. And that boy was coming around third base, me and the catcher. And all of us made it right there at the same time. And boom! Out! Failure! But in the process, as I slid in the home plate, I'll never forget. Crack! My ankle busted. And I just knew I would broke it. I was in so much pain. It hurt so bad. And I'll never forget. And my mouth got so dry, I couldn't even speak. I said, water. Bring me water. Now listen, I understand that my pain and the pain of Christ, not even in the same ballpark, I'm trying to make a point. The pain that Jesus was in, in the midst of this hot sun and scorching heat, it had a dry mouth. As he gasped for air, as he would stand up to talk and settle back down, Crucifixion was a horrible thing. And they had it down to a perfect way of doing it. To get the most suffering. But when that sour wine was handed up to Him, and it was given to Him, He gave Him the fluid and the moisture in His mouth that He could speak the very last words we heard. It is finished. Don't confuse this wine, this cheap wine, with the wine that was offered to Christ beforehand. This, this wine and crucifixion that was given was, was often given to prolong death. To prolong it. Not to shorten it. To prolong it. But Christ needed to speak this important phrase. This cheap wine, not for relieving pain, but prolonging it. He takes it. He says these last words. It is finished. To telestai. It means complete. Paid in full. And there is no need for any more sacrificial system of laying these animals on the altar and shedding of blood for the forgiveness of their sins. No, Christ says it is finished. Now the perfect Lamb had been slain for the forgiveness of mankind. 
The Greek word to telestai gives the idea of a debt that is owed. A certificate of debt. If you owed me money and I wrote on your certificate, paid in full and I gave it back to you, that would mean you owed me nothing. It was done with. Paid. Complete. We are in debt to Christ, each one of us. We are in debt to God because we are sinful, separated from God, unable to merit favor with God. But Christ, Jesus Christ, became our payment of debt to God. He, the crucified, paid the debt. And so when I hear people say, well, I've lived a good life. I've never murdered anybody. I've done this. I've done that. You see, you fail to see what Christ did on Calvary. And listen, the reality is, is you can't explain that to somebody. God has to reveal that to them. We, our job is to speak the truth of the Gospel and to tell them to put their trust in Jesus Christ alone because He paid the debt on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you in your mind have anything to do with your salvation, you've missed the mark. You've missed the point. What Christ did on Calvary doesn't need your help or my help. It was sufficient. And that's why He said what He said, it is finished. Now all you have to do is believe. The work that He did on that cross was sufficient enough. It was a completed faith. Galatians 2.21 says that if it were by the law you could be saved, and Christ died needlessly. Listen, I know this message may seem very repetitive to some of you here. But if I get up here and I stand and I give you a great message, a great sermon, and I fail to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I fail as your pastor. Because there's people in here that I've never met before. Today. That may not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you get out of sync because I'm sharing the gospel, then maybe you need to ask yourself the question, do I understand the gospel myself? The gospel can never be preached enough. Because it's amazing what the gospel does. It just comes on like a light switch. After so many years of praying for my father, like a light switch, it just goes off. Bam, I understand. you've been telling me all this. I get it. That's why we preach the gospel every day out there. Not maybe not in the snow right now. It's a little cold out there. But wherever you're at, don't ever be afraid to continually preach the gospel over and over and over and over. Because at one point in somebody's life, the light will go off. Christ paid the price. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. The question is, what do you do with Jesus Christ this morning? This book, this Bible, gives us proof through prophecy 
and through reliability. As we prayed this morning, and as I thought about these folks in these persecuted churches, as you watch the video of these people being beat for their faith, they don't believe in a God that's a fairy tale. It's a whole lot easier for us to pretend we're something we're not because we don't have sticks flying at our head. We don't have knives coming at us. We don't have guns pointed at our heads. and says, reject your faith. But there's people all over this country that understand that the God we worship is an active and live God who cares for His people, who answers prayers, who heals people. And the price He paid on Calvary was enough. So what will you do? This book says you can't make it on your own. So where does that leave you? What will you do with Christ? Will you believe? Or will you disbelieve? Our faith is a firm faith. The Bible speaks of itself, predicts events many, many, many years before they take place. And also speaks of an event the Bible says, will come like a thief in the night. And that's the second coming of Christ. For those who are in Christ, this day will be absolutely wonderful. But those for who are not in Christ will be terrifying. Because the days of your opportune to turn and trust Jesus Christ for your Savior will be over. There won't be any second chances. He's paid the price on Calvary. And all you have to do is put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can do that today. Right there where you sit. He's made the way. And now, it's your choice. To reject or to accept. The Bible gives us no middle grounds. Either you're for Him or you're against Him. There's no lukewarmness. You're for Christ or you're against Him. And you may be for Christ this morning. And you may be living your life in a lack of daisical relationship with Him. And listen, I don't know about you, but as I watch these people, as I watch them suffer for the sake of Christ, and I look at my life, I have to evaluate where I'm at. Why am I not reading my Bible more? Why am I not more interested in the things of God? Why am I not more interested in doing more church things? Doing more events to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? When these people are being beat for meeting together. Being killed for carrying their Bible, if they're even so lucky to even have a Bible in their own language. Because presidents say, no, nah, we're going to get rid of Christianity. But right here, in the midst of these people in this building is where it starts. To say, we're going to make a difference. We're going to look at what opportunities we have. And we're going to do more and more and more to further the kingdom of Christ. We're going to get involved with Whitcliffe. So we can help provide opportunities for people to get Bibles in their own language. We're going to continue to support missionaries who are sharing their faith on a regular basis. What can we do to continue to work for what Christ has done 
Not for salvation, but to show that we truly have a changed life and changed faith. We're not beat for it. We have no excuse not to really dig in and drive. This week and the weeks to come is Thanksgiving. Many of you will be traveling home. Many of you will have people here. Don't take this as an opportunity to skip church. Take this as an opportunity to invite your family. And say, listen, we're going to stand up. I don't care if you're in my family or not. If you come to my house on Sunday morning, y'all better hope the preacher's here. I can't say, listen, I'm just going to take off this Sunday. My family's in town. I couldn't make it. No. we got to take the opportunity to stand up and say, listen, you're welcome to join me, but me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to go to church. We're not going to use some excuse to skip out on the Lord's day. Listen, in America today, Sunday is one of the most unrespected days that we have. We want everything else serve God on Sunday. Not everybody's guilty of it to understand that. But there is a lackadaisical respect to the Lord's day in our culture. And I want each one of us to seek ourselves. To see where we're at. Because Christ paid it all on Calvary. And there's nothing we have to do to ensure our salvation except believe in the work that He did. We should want to change our lives. And we should want to impact nations after nation after nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you believe this morning? Let us go to the Lord in prayer.